Hi, welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. I'm Anthony Lowe, the Physio Detective. And I'm Marika Hart from Herosphere. Together we interview leading authorities, we answer questions and share our thoughts to provide the general public with the best quality information that we can find on all aspects of women's health. Please remember that the materials and the content on this podcast are intended as general information and they're for entertainment purposes only. They're not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Now sit back, grab your favourite beverage or do your thing and enjoy the show. Everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Anthony Lowe. With me is Marika Hart. Uh, how are you, Marika? I'm great, thanks. How are you, Anthony? Good, thank you. We've both gotten through, through some pretty stressful periods recently, so it's welcome been fantastic. Welcome back to Australia. That's right. <laughs> um, and with us today, we've got our special guest, Chantal Traub. Um Did I say that right? Traub, yes, Chantal Traub, and I see this is. And and Chantal is an active birth doula, childbirth educator, pre-postnatal yoga, amongst the many, many things that she has in her certifications. But the important thing is is she's been helping uh, families, expecting families in New York City for the last 17 years, Um, you know, women's health coach, helping women through perimenopause, There's all sorts of things that Chantal does. Um, And she also created a workshop called Pushing Power to help moms with uh, education, knowledge, and tools to help them up, um, help set themselves up for a functional, meaningful, and positive birth experience and full postpartum recovery. So um, thank you for joining us, Chantal. Thank you. I'm honored and thrilled to be here. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to have a doula on the on the show because, you know, us us PTs we know lots of different things, but not all of us get to be there when babies are being delivered. I, I know that there's quite a few public PTs that I've met that are also doulas, um, which is fantastic. Uh, but yeah, it'll be great to have a discussion today about some of the things that you've seen all the hundreds, I don't know, thousands, I don't know how many people you've helped. 800 um, plus, yeah. Yeah, there's been a few, you know, there's I've been only been at three births. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my kids. So, um, so yeah, it, it'll be great to have a discussion about that. Yeah, great. I love, I love talking about this. So, especially with physical therapists, so it's just right up my alley. Well, Chantal, I don't know a lot about you, um, so I would love to hear your story, and I'm, I'm really interested to hear, I guess, also your journey and how you came to be where you're at now, but I'm also, I'd love to hear what it's like working day-to-day in New York City as a doula, because I think that's fascinating, like the environments that you work in, whether you're helping people at hospital or at home or both or wherever. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear about your day-to-day job as well as the history behind it. Okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll start and then, you know, just ask questions. Um, but um, so I've been assisting for many years here in New York City and in all the different hospitals across uh, Manhattan, Brooklyn, New Jersey, but and also home births and birthing centers. We've got less and less options for birthing centers, but over the years I've worked at many of them here in New York City. Um, so. It, ha- it is a really interesting experience being invited into different institutions or homes, working with various midwives and OBs because you get to see a lot and then learn a lot from different styles of practice, if you will. But how I got into um, pushing and the pelvic floor and kind of passionately obsessive about it is um, from going to hundreds and hundreds of births, um, well, I'll just dial it back a bit, like I'm going to hundreds and hundreds of births and just feeling that, often feeling that women were often underprepared for the pushing part of labor. And what I would find is that often it wasn't always intuitive as we imagined it to be, or as we had taught it to be, or how I learned to teach it in childbirth education classes. So I've been a childbirth educator for almost as long as I've been a doula. And I would teach for physiological birth and I would go to birth and 
so often it wouldn't be like that, whether someone was blocked with an epidural or just had a long, hard descent and really had to work hard to help the baby down and out. And so I felt I was failing some of those moms in the classes, setting them up for almost false expectations. So I wanted to address all the women, all the women that were coming to the classes. Um, and I would often discuss it with like some of the OBs and midwives that I work with and say, isn't there a better way to prepare these moms? And the answer I would often get is that women will figure it out on the day of, somehow they'll get it. And you only have to do it once because the next time is so much easier. And although that may be true, not always, because often women would run out of time um, or they would need to have um, external existence with a vacuum or forceps, episiotomy, or even a C-section, or often push in really forcefully into the pelvic floor, sometimes creating unnecessary damage. And at the same time, as a yoga teacher, you know, my yoga students were always fascinated with my work because often I would feel running off to a birth. And they would share with me, and these were women that had their children, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that they would, uh, would sometimes leak if they jumped or sneezed or had some type of pelvic or tailbone pain, back pain, or even a prolapse. And the more we dove into those stories and, and I explored that with them, it often went back to their birth experiences. Sometimes the pregnancies in itself, but often the birth experiences. And so I started talking to pelvic, pelvic floor physical therapists and just asking them, what are you seeing? What are you seeing from women who have given birth and kind of trying to connect the dots together? And these were the stories that just really pushed me to create this workshop, Pushing Power, because I wanna help women prepare ahead of time for a functional and optimal pushing stage of labor um, and to minimize damage and to have strategies to, to shorten that process sometimes. And the interesting thing about pushing is often it's the shortest part of labor, but if things go awry, they have such lifelong lasting repercussions. And as a yoga teacher and a postpartum yoga teacher and postpartum rehab um, person, people started coming to me with, well, diastasis, that's spoken about a lot, but, but the incontinence and the prolapse, and I just, I was astounded just how much there was. And then when I'd hear the birth stories, just making those connections. So that's just really what's driven me to help women, you know, to advocate for themselves, to learn about their bodies specifically, to understand what's going on with their own bodies, with their own babies, with their own pelvises, so that they can take as much control with their, with their own births and their own bodies so that they can really trust themselves on a really deep level. So... That's yeah, that's right. awesome. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> okay, that was a what? bit long-winded. <laughs> No, no, not at all. And I think it's, um, you know, it's great that you have this passion of, of working with mums to be and educating them about the birth process, uh, but also giving them the tools that they need. Because I think, I do think um, we see that a lot with birth preparation courses. It's people will discuss, you know, this is the first stage and this is the second stage and this is what's going to happen. But we, um, women are often not getting actual strategies you know, to put in place during, um, during that second stage. So would you like to describe a little bit for our listeners, what is actually happening with the baby as it moves down through the birth canal and what's happening within the, the pelvis of the pelvic floor? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so I, for those who are on the podcast, <laughs> Chantal has now pulled out a baby oh, and a pelvis. So she's going to show on the video, but she's also going to have to describe really well. I'm going to describe it, but like it's just... Um, so towards the end of the pregnancy, the, the baby tends to kind of drop down into the pelvis. Not always, but ideally kind of around 38 weeks. We want to see some descent of the baby moving down into the pelvis. And 
I just want to say this, that um, for first-time pregnancy, just a little bit about the uterus and the shape and how we work with that, but a first-time pregnancy, the uterus is more curved on the left side and a little bit more straight down on the right. So it's a little bit asymmetrical, and that's normal with first-time you know, the, preg the uterus, and that often gets stretched out. So it's not always um, so clear second time. But we want, and this is one thing that I've learned over the years, is just position, 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 position of the baby, position of the mom, just really counts for so much during labor and for, and for pushing. Um, so we want to work with the mom to encourage the babe to come down um, following that curve of the uterus. So if it follows the curve of the uterus, it will encourage the baby's head to tuck its chin in towards its chest, right? As it comes in, um, presenting the most narrowest part of the baby's head, which is the malleable part of the baby's head. The bones will slide over each other um, here at the occiput of the head, whereas if that it presents kind of like at the top of the head that doesn't mold as much and often creates just like a little mesa. Or if it presents um, kind of stargazing, if you will, face up, it's a much wider circumference. So I often work with my clients and my students to encourage positions and exercises towards the end of the pregnancy to help and support the baby to come in, um, ideally following that curve. So the baby's free to move around in the uterus as much as possible, but as it starts coming down into the pelvis, it comes into a much more narrower space, and that leads to the baby's rotations. So the pelvis, um, when you look at the pelvis, it's, it's funnel-shaped, and it's curved inside. So we want to keep that in mind when we're thinking about pushing later, the, the shape of the pelvis and the curvature of the, pel of the pelvis. So our baby's coming in ideally facing the mom's right hip or her back, um, presenting the narrowest part of its head, especially as it starts descending down into the more narrower part of uh, the pelvis. And as it starts getting, going down towards the middle of the pelvis, and that's marked by the ischial spines. And the interesting part about that is that's where the deep muscles of the pelvic floor attach. At the ischial spines at around S, and you correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> around S3, S4 in the sacrum and the middle of the pubic symphysis. And a balanced, well, a well-balanced and supple pelvic floor actually aids the baby in its rotation. So as the baby comes down, and, and if one had to look at a, 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 the fetal head, it's narrower from ear to ear, but wider from the back of the head to the, to the forehead. On the pelvis, at the brim of the pelvis where the baby enters, it's wider from ilium to ilium and narrower from sacrum to pubis. So we want our baby coming down, presenting um, from looking out over the right hip. But as it comes down and enters a more narrower channel, which you know leads to those rotations, as I said, it needs to be able to turn to fit. So ideally, it will turn on uh, the pelvic floor and face its mother's back, coming up against the pubic symphysis, which will encourage its head to tuck in a little bit more coming up against the sacrum, moving the sacrum slightly back and moving the tailbone out of the way. And this is really important for the very next uh, rotation where it passes through the pelvic floor and then needs to come underneath the pubic arch. Here, the baby that has been in a constant state of flexion for most of the labor will come in to extension. So it will extend its head underneath the pubic arch. And now it will slide across the perineum, which is attached at the two tuber, uh, uh, sit bones, as we know, the, the coccyx and uh, the pubic arch. It will slide across the perineum. Now, in a mom that does not have an epidural, she will often feel a strong burning sensation. And that's going to be her cue to yield 
and blow itty bitty birthday candles to slow down and ease the baby out as it crowns. Then, the because the shoulders are wider, it, the shoulders turn and spin on the perineum. One shoulder's born, the other shoulder's born, the baby continues to turn. It extends its uh, pelvis, extends its legs and kicks off the top of the fundus as it births. Get your baby. Can I just recommend to everyone who's listening to this to actually watch the video? Oh. So Chantal is, no, it's, it's, it was actually just such a great demonstration, but Chantal actually has this baby doll and she's demonstrating every single rotation and movement of the baby's head and the body, um, which is just absolutely fascinating to me to watch. So I recommend that you all jump onto YouTube or onto Facebook to watch that video that we will, we will post. Thank you. And, and so, I keep, it keeps making me think like, um, you know, when I see, you know, every TV show that we see in you know Hollywood movie, women are lying on their back um, or they have all their weight coming down into the sacrum and you just watch that, you know, movement of the pelvis and you just think, oh my gosh, when you see how much movement there is and what the baby's trying to achieve, it seems so counterintuitive to put all your body weight onto that sacrum. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it's amazing. I mean, this is like my absolute favorite set of bones, the pelvis and the body. I, I mean, I find it so cool because also not only does it connect our spine to the pelvis, it connects our femur bones. And what we do with our spine and what we do with our legs will affect the space in the pelvis. So there's a lot of hormones, right, that help these you know, counter mutation and mutation help these subtle movements that are aided mostly by the sacral elac joints, but a little bit at the base of the coccyx and at the pubic symphysis. Um, those hormones, relaxin, gonotropin, and progesterone, that are released not so much in the life of a woman, but a lot during menstruation. So that's important to remember, but also during pregnancy and a lot during childbirth. And actually, Anthony, you talk about this a lot, and I love that because I connect to that, um, that because the um, perineum attaches to the ischial tuberosities, what we're doing, you know, with our movements, if we're lunging or squatting or moving in asymmetrical ways, does affect the dyn dynamism of the, of the perineum. But we know that, for example, what we do with our spine, so for example, if, I, if we were to lean back, right and sit on our tailbone that would compress that space but if we were to lean forward that would create a little bit more space uh at the base of the pelvis and the same what we do with our with our femur bone so i could we could say this to the listeners out there if you were to you know sit on your hands for a moment like put your hands on your sit bones and feel the insides of your sit bones right and just sit on them for a moment and, and just notice when you lean forward, how much space there is between your two sit bones. Or if you lean back, how much space there is be between your two sit bones. So just to keep that in mind when we talk about, about pushing. And now imagine if you did an internal rotation, bringing your knees towards each other, how much space there is between the two sit bones. Or if you did an external rotation, for example, like a plie, how much space there is between the two sit bones. So what we do with our legs and our spine can help create more or less space for the baby. And so I'm often educating my students, like if we're encouraging the baby to come into the pelvis, like what positions would we do to encourage the baby to come in? And then when labor becomes much more active, and the baby's moving to the lower part of the pelvis, what are we doing to kind of encourage the baby to move you know, down and out? And what we do with our bodies can support that as well. So that's, that's all very, very interesting. It's, it's a, childbirth is an area that, um, you know, I, I'm happy to talk about antenatal, I'm happy to talk about postnatal, like in the, in the very few minutes, hours in the middle there. Um, I feel like my knowledge is more general. Uh, you, you spoke about some of those exercises and the positioning there, like 
Yeah, you know what I'm like, Chantal. My first question is, is there any evidence? Like, like how can we influence what goes on? And, and, you know, I'm not sure if there's any studies on that. So in your experience, what are some of those exercises and, um, you know, how do they seem to help? Yeah, so um, we do want to encourage the baby to come in into the pelvis in a, in a more optimal way. We know, though, if, if, if the, if the labor is just happening on its own, like in an ideal world, we don't really need to do anything. Like women have been doing this for forever, right? Um, but I think a lot has to do with our culture and our lifestyle. And I, I, I know that maybe you don't disagree with me from the, that you may disagree with me from the course, but we tend to do a lot of sitting where we're sitting on our tailbones. Um, we do a lot of driving. We do a lot of like symmetrical, like we're walking or people are like in spin classes or they're on treadmills. And, and there's a lot of like, I think, imbalance in the body. Like we're not really, you know, crouching down and, you know, moving in a whole lot of different planes. So I think that when we look at that, not only does the baby have to navigate the bones of the pelvis, it has to navigate, you know, the uterus. It has to be able to, you know, pass through the cervix and then pass all the ligaments, like the broad ligament, the round ligament. Sometimes they get very tight during pregnancy. Um, you know, the muscles, the deep psoas muscles, for example, and the bladder, the rectum, you know, and then pass through the pelvic floor. So there's, there's a lot that the baby also has to navigate. So I think one has to look at the whole body holistically. So looking at lifestyle habits, um, I think is important. And I, I think that, you know, if everything's going well, then, you know, if it's, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But as a doula from going to birth, the labor will tell you, um, what's needed so if you're observing labor like sometimes if there's a long hard prodromal labor like for days that the, you know the mom's going through labor and there's not really change or the baby isn't really descending often it is either positional or some kind of imbalance or tightness in some of the muscles ligaments fascia so i think preparing ahead of time for more balance in the body, it can be helpful. Um, but also, you know, like what you talk about, a lot of variety I think is really important because I think a lot of us are very much doing the same thing. And so there's a lot of those imbalances going on in, going on in the body. But, um, but just in terms of, you know, and it's also a culture where I think our, our, well, I can speak for New York City, but I know that, um, you know, cars and the subway seats, they all bucket back. I don't think furniture is very well designed for, um, you know, optimal health of the pelvis. And you might disagree with me here, but I often think when we're sitting bucketing back, often the heaviest part of the baby being the skull and the spine will settle in that position because of gravity. Now, posterior babies may may come out. Um, we need a lot more patience with that. They offer much longer, harder labors. And I had been at enough births where my client would end up with a C-section for a posterior baby that it just became like, this is ridiculous. We've got to work on positioning. And what I have learned is if you want to move the baby, move the mother. Move the mother if you want to move the baby. So what I'm really trying to, my approach, I think, is shifting the perspective. So often it's like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to get the baby out? But if we can change our perspective to what does the baby need? Where's the baby at? How does the baby need to be supported to be able to move through its instinctive reflexes, its physiological movements? in order to be able to come into, through, and out of the pelvis and to be born, then we have a better sense and uh, can support the baby in a, a different way. So we're thinking about it a little bit differently. So, Chantelle, in the old days, people used to yeah. just basically get women on all fours, scrubbing, scrubbing floors. Yes. Um, you know, I love that. I still do that, down, actually. Um, <laughs> forward leaning, you know, those kind of postures. And 
you know, mm-hmm. lots of sort of sidestepping on, you know, with stairs, you know, really trying to open up the hips, you know, all those kind of exercises, you know, do you yeah. still kind of, um, absolutely. Yeah. I was just, I was at a client today and I showed her the, the steps going up two at a time, like sideways. Yeah. And, um, even though they may never get to wash the floors, I still get them down and pretend to wash the floors. I think that's one of the best, best exercises is just crawling around on your hands and knees. Yeah. Is, is just one of the best things that you can do, actually. And I guess, like, for me, when I sort of talk to my clients too, it's, it's you know, um, you know, like you were saying, just look at, look at what's happening over a whole day. Like, if you're spending four hours lying on a, lying reclined on a couch, like you said, you know, with gravity and the baby tends to go spine to spine, um, can you balance that out with some forward leaning? Can you do some more walking? Can you do some hip opening? Can you do some stretching? Can you do other something as Anthony would say, do something different. different. Offer your body and your baby something different. Um, and I think, yeah, not trying to kind of get into them that this is bad or this is bad, but just over the course of the day, looking at what you were offering for your for your baby and your body um, in terms of, you, you know, uh, I'm losing my train of thought, but you know what I'm getting at, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's no, having I lots think... of different preferences. Like, well, recognising your preferences for movements and positions and increasing the variety like you were saying Chantal Mm. you know just introducing lots of different variety and looking at what their habits are and making sure that they do lots of the things that they don't usually do so like sideways up the stairs uh two at a time I think that's fantastic every time I suggest that in a room full of pelvic PTs or certain types of fitness professionals they get upset because oh you know the pubic synthesis and it's like or you can just train them. <laughs> so, um, Chantal, I'd be interested yeah. in, um, cause you obviously are really passionate about the pelvic floor. Do you, um, work, so you work with some public health physios. Mm-hmm. Do you screen your pregnant ladies if you, to see if you think they might be people who have a hypertonic overactive pelvic floor might have difficulty in birth. And if you do, what do you do with those clients? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I always ask, like, so when I'm meeting somebody, like when we start working together, I want to learn more about them. I'm like, what did you do in college? Like, what sports did you play? What, you know, what activities did you do when you were young, you know, a young girl or young child? And then what did you do in college? And, and what do you do now? And how do you spend your time? And if someone's told me, oh, I, you know, I, I, I danced seven days a week and I did gymnastics my whole childhood and then I did horse riding on the weekend and uh, maybe I fell off a horse a few times and then I ice skated on like Sundays and I, you know, fell on the ice. I'm like, I'll really, really suggest. Now, it's really interesting because I can only make suggestions. And this is the interesting part about um, being a doula and I try and bring in my like health coach coaching here a little bit because you do I do want to invoke my clients um taking responsibility for for the process and what they want and what their vision is and what they're really hoping for and to you know I don't want to be telling them what to do I'm wanting to help guide them so that they will be an active participant. And I do find my clients who will see a pelvic floor physical therapist, or sometimes even a pelvic floor physical therapist, a physical therapist, um, or even uh, someone who's really like a, an osteopath or um, someone who does myofascial release that can just feel where the tightness is, where uh, the, in, um, the asymmetry is in the body and kind of so they can hear it from them as well and then work together as a team. So I do find my clients that will go to physical therapy or, um, and will do something different <laughs> tend to do a lot better. I really, really see. And then, and then some of my clients who won't go, it comes up in labor and it, you know, then they, they learn for the next baby. Um, so sometimes I know when I'm teaching, when I'm teaching my classes, I know that I'm often, did I lose you with this? Oh, I'm often teaching for the second baby because that's just how it is sometimes. But with my own clients, I can really encourage them in a much stronger way. When you say it shows up in labor, what does that look like, Chantal? Okay. So 
so, so a lot of my athletes, so this is where it's really interesting. Uh, you know, sometimes I feel my yogis <laughs> or my Pilates clients or my dancers um, will, I, will often have a much more challenging labor than, say, like my, I don't know, my school teachers, if you will, <laughs> um, or my clients from the Midwest. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, because sometimes, well, there's a lot that goes into it. So, so when I'm working with someone, it's not only the physical that I'm looking at. I'm also looking at, um, I think, you know, living in New York City is very interesting. I think New York City draws, you know, a variety of people, but also a very specific type. They are very, um, like my clients seem to be very independent, very successful, very in control. Um, usually if they work hard, they get what they want. They get what they want. They're just really in charge with their life. And so when it comes to birth, I think one of the hardest things is to kind of get out of your own way and let your body do what it needs to do. And that fear of losing control is really, really huge. And so there is that mental, psychological, emotional aspect to birth that I think does need to be addressed. So I will talk a lot about fear and what those fears are. And often the fear is losing, losing control, like fear of losing control and what that means for someone. So I am exploring that. And also if, the, if it's someone who has used physicality for that sense of control in, that li in their life, I mean, I don't want to take that away from them, but how can we find something different? You know, what about you know, belly dancing or swimming or, you know, definitely getting your heart rate up. I know that, they, but then, you know, finding something different um, where they can just shift, you know, that, that spinning addiction that we have here in New York City. Um, you know, I, I, I want them not to take it away, but to back up from that and introduce something else so that they can start, you know, balancing their bodies really. Did I just lose your fault? I went off and didn't answer your question. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. So, you know, Marika was interested in, um, I'm guessing, um, about how, um, how it shows up in labor, like oh, what labor. are the signs that you see, or what is the presentations that you're seeing, um, you know, overactive pelvic floor. Um, so, you know, I think, I think what you were speaking about, just summarizing what you've said, um, you know, having those, that certain personality type that, that does seem to be in New York, um, the in control, strong, independent, and getting out of their own way. Um, it, it seemed like your first response to the question was actually, it's about the person, which personally I love. Um, and are you seeing that in labor? Are you seeing that during the delivery that, um, their personality is coming through in how they're managing with labor? Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, what I love most about labor is like a birth. Is it straight to go? I mean, it's, you know, you, this, you cut to the chase. I, I love it because I think the one's strengths are vulnerabilities, the good, the bad, the ugly, it all comes out. And I'm very comfortable with that. And I, when I work with my clients, I want to assure them that I am comfortable with that and they can be exactly who they are and be safe to move through that and process it. But, you know, who, who we are definitely comes out because you know, I wish for everybody to ha that they have the birth that they fantasize. You know, everybody has this fantasy going in. Um, but when things don't go according to plan, how are we with that? And that can be really hard for a lot of us, um, how we manage that. And it doesn't mean that things are not going to go your way in the end, but they may be, you know, 6, 12, 18 hours of maybe a huge detour that you might not have been expecting and it can be very upsetting um, understandably but but does one have the the you know really the strength of character to be able to 
kind of stay the course or be able to change plans and kind of roll with it. It's a little bit like, you know, arriving at the airport, you're going to travel to Australia, you get there and there's like, I don't know, a six hour wait. And then you have to switch planes and I don't know, travel here and go there. And then finally you get to Australia like six days later instead of two. I mean, you know, it's, it's a little bit, how do we deal with that? The tiredness, you know, oh, well. the jet lag, you know, the not being in your, just being out of your zone. I think it's a lot. It's a lot like that sometimes. That's a great um, analogy. <laughs> Um, but how does it show up in labor? So for, so for many things. So I, I was just going to say, like, often I, I do find, and it's not only the position of the baby. Sometimes it is a hypertonic pelvic floor, or sometimes it could be tight psoas or just tight muscles that are, one, slowing down the descent of the baby to start with. So sometimes we have to work through that. Or something different has to happen. And that's like a variety of things. But sometimes it's the descent of the baby coming down and into the pelvis and coming down nicely until the head is really well applied to the cervix. So that can take its own type for a variety uh, of reasons. And then sometimes in, in labor, if the baby is not in a good position. It can take a really, really long time for that baby to uh, descend deeper into the pelvis, for the cervix to open more or for that baby to finally rotate so it's able to come down more or often if the baby's coming down see if it's not tucking it's turning towards its chest leading with the narrowest part of the head often what can happen is it can become a little asynchronic and that's a really really tough labor that can get into a lot a lot of trouble um, and also an imbalanced pelvic floor if it's very asymmetrical sometimes the head has to be able to rotate nicely on a supple, well-toned, balanced pelvic floor. And sometimes the tightness of the pelvic diaphragm can affect that rotation and it doesn't turn as well. So I think there's many things. I don't want to say there's one thing. It's, it's never one thing. Hmm. And what may be one thing for one person is not that one thing for another person. So I, I, I just wanted to ask Chantal, yeah. just before you moved on, like, are you feeling asymmetrical pelvic floor tone when you're helping them through their labor? So, so um, I'm not doing internal exams, but, but, I, but often during the pregnancy, I've sent them, I've sent um, my clients to um, pelvic floor physical therapists and we've worked on that balance. But we do know that an unbalanced pelvic floor, because it affects so much else, and it might not be from the pelvic floor, it could be asymmetry in the body, it could be muscular pulling something out of alignment, it might not be, it, it's all interconnected in that way. So it could be like one side of the body is a lot tighter than the other. But yes, there is, there is uh, that if the pelvic floor is asymmetrical, it can affect the way that the baby spins on that deep muscles of the pelvic floor. Yeah. Okay. That's um yeah, it's uh it's it's an interesting thing because it, it it just seems like like you were saying, there's there's really no really one thing uh, that one we can thing. attribute it to it's, and it's it you yeah. know, we're always trying to improve their their strength and range of motion and their just the amount of movement that they can have during their pregnancy, like what you were saying and um yeah, it's interesting with the pelvic floor question, and and it's interesting if if um if you're seeing you know like a stalled progression during their first stage, or um you know that first stage seems to go on, like you said with with the plane analogy, you know like you expected to breeze through this section, and here we are days later, and um, how are you coping with that? Um, what what's really interesting uh, for me is um, the pushing part of things. And, yeah. you know, the whole push, 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 push. And then there's, you know, you could be unconscious in a coma and deliver a baby. So just how important is the pushing part of things and should you push? And you see, because it seems 
from a pelvic physio point of view to be not particularly helpful to have a lots of heavy, strong pushes like that. Um, mm. You know, I know that the hospitals that, that I'm, that I work at doing antenatal education, they, they teach calm birthing techniques, um, you know, and then other people are like, Oh, you know, when you feel the urge to push, push, but, you know, there's pushing and there's pushing and there are people that do paradoxical things like when they're pushing, they start squeezing their pelvic floor and all sorts of strange things can yeah. happen just because of one word, push. I, I wanted to get your opinion or, or your, your insights into what you've seen on that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I, I'm really inspired by the, um, those guidelines. I actually put like a little reference there. Um, uh, from the, it's the National Institute um, of Health and Care, the UK ones, um, because it really, it really um, describes second stage labor really clearly. And like there are different stages in labor, like the first stage of labor and the second stage of labor being pushing and the third stage of birth of placenta and breastfeeding, it talks about, and then there are different phases like the very latent, the latent, active and more active in the first stage of labor. Well, so there is different phases within pushing and the definition of second stage labor is um, 10 centimeters dilated. The cervix is 10 centimeters dilated until the birth of the baby. Okay, so we know that we have that, but do we need to start pushing just because we're 10 centimeters? And, you know, that, that research really explains it. And you do see that often um, in labor, that when the mother gets to around 10 centimeters, the co contractions may space out and go away. Now, often what happens in a hospital is like, oh, those contractions spaced out. Where did they go? Oh, let's give you some Pitocin, bring them back together and just like finish up the labor. Whereas like say in a home birth situation or a birthing center, it's often seen as like the rest and be thankful phase. This is a great time. The uterus now has to, which has like kind of got a little bit looser as the baby's come down, has to tighten up around the baby adjust itself and then at the next wave of contractions there'll be those more expulsive ones or allowing the mom to take a rest or maybe the baby to complete some of its rotations remember it was in a state of flexion and it needs to be able to fully extend its head to come underneath the pubic bone before it starts sliding across the perineum so maybe that baby needs to complete its rotation so i was just going to quickly ask yeah. Because you've said it a few times now, how does a baby turn? Yeah. Like, how does it's that happen? Is it the yeah. uterus doing all the twisting and contracting? Like, what's going on there? Well, we know that the, the pelvis is made up of four bones. So it's bony, hard, and it's curved inside, right? So it's wider at the broom. It's narrower at these ischial spines. And then it has to pass through the, narrow, the, the bottom of the pelvis, right? It's like almost like funnel shaped. So um, there are certain reflexes that the baby has. It has like, um, you know, reflex, like, and you see that these reflexes are actually in the newborn for somewhere between one to three months. And there's something called like, it's like a fencing reflex. Sometimes you'll see the baby do this. You know, if you touch it, it'll do that. Or you know you move it you move it one way and it turns. It's not it's not um, what's the word? It's not thinking about it. It's a reflex. Um, it's it's there's the extension of the head and it's the flexion and then the extension of the pelvis and then there's like the paras reflex where they extend their legs and then there's the placing reflex where they step. Right. So these re reflexes the baby has, but because of the surges, the contractions, the uterus. So the uterus is actually moving the baby down. There's also fluid and there's bones that are helping the baby. So it's with the contractions and the way that the pelvis is designed that is aiding as it comes into a more deeper, narrower space is what's aiding those rotations with the strength of the contractions. Um, and then the baby is just, it has those reflexes that just allows it to do it. It's not necessary. It's not thinking at this, if that's what you're asking. Um, and that's really cool, I think. So, so, so the idea of, I think, 
um, and I'll go back to the second stage, but I think part of the preparation is introducing almost a practice like in one's life where, you know, New Yorkers too, we go, 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 go. And a lot of us are very anxious and, you know, there's a lot of stress involved. Um, but if we can learn to be able to come to a place of calm or deep relaxation, whether it's a practice of breath practice or yoga practice or meditation practice or a hypno practice like self-hypnosis, just being able to really go to that deep place where we can be able to trust our own bodies to be able to move in a way physiologically that will kind of support the baby's movement. Because if we're uncomfortable, we'll move, right? Just sitting here, I've adjusted myself, I don't know how many times. Imagine if I was in labor, I'd been, you know, adjusting myself on, on a much larger scale. Um, so I think, I think that aspect is really important. And I think there is a lot of benefits, like, you know, to hydrotherapy, like showers and baths and tubs, and we don't always have that, but water itself can be deeply relaxing, sometimes allows the mom to be able to move in ways. But, um, but so in going back to the, the different phases in second stage, so often the contractions may space out, which allows the mom to have a rest. Sometimes she'll sleep for two or three hours and often you'll see her, suddenly she's like, she's resting, suddenly she's, okay, I've got to get up, the baby's coming. I've got, you know, like there's a suddenly like alertness. You know, it, it, it's so interesting to see it. And, and a oh, lot of what I've, <laughs> sorry, did I lose you? No, no, I just said, hello, adrenaline. Yes. There's this like new energy that comes, um, a, a real alertness where well, the mom might be in a zone and everything. And then boom, it's like babies come in and it's like, it's really interesting. And that's, I think when the mom also really just needs to be felt safe, you don't have to tell her what to do. If it's intuitive, it's just coming. So often it's a great time for the mom to take a rest or to get into a tub, get into water. Um, or I have a peanut bowl here that, you know, in New York City, there is like a 90 something percent rate for epidural. So I think that is something that does need to be addressed, right? Because that does play a role. Um, but there's a lot that you can do with an epidural and move in the mom's positions to encourage the baby to, you know, complete those rotations. So sometimes get into, into different positions to help that baby complete what it needs to do. Um, and so if you're not feeling a strong urge to push, or if you're not feeling strong expulsive contractions to work with, then why not wait? Now, being really realistic and practical, we're always checking in with the baby and we're always checking in with the mom. So if, if for any clinical reason, the baby needs to be born sooner than later, either for the health of the mother, for the health of the baby. Well, then we are going to, you know, dig deep and help the baby out. Or if the baby's showing indications that it needs to be born sooner than later, then we're definitely responding to that. But if everybody is okay, why not just wait? Right. So it's basically, so I like to think about it is so the baby, when it comes down and moves through the pelvis, it's measured in stations. The other thing that is measured by these ischial spines, deep muscles of the pelvic floor, is that it's at zero station in the pelvis. So before that, the baby's measured in, you know, it's minus stations, the higher up it is, and it gets to the ischial spines, it's at zero stations, and then it's, you know, plus one, plus two, plus three, plus four, until it's, you know, plus four in the perineum, and crowns it, like, say, around plus six. So ideally, the lower the baby comes down, you don't really want to start pushing unless you feel in that strong urge until the baby is visible, until there's like hair on the perineum is like what I like to say. Baby's hair on the perineum. The baby's come down low enough. If I have to throw out a number, maybe plus two, but the baby is low enough. And then if you start pushing, you really only push from when the baby is visible until baby's head. And then you stop and let the baby ooze out, right, to crown. So, of course, if the mom is, oh, I feel a baby coming, and she, she just needs to feel safe, and maybe, okay, you know, just like pick this one leg up, maybe just 
kind of move your hip a little bit, but she knows what to do and she needs to feel supported. But if there's an epidural or a posterior baby, for example, is a long, hard push, you've got to work hard with that. That's not always so instinctive. Then you want to be, you know, really helping guide the mom in terms of her positions. Does that make sense? So it's more, you really only push in when there are very strong expulsive contractions or there's a lot of pressure that the mother's got something to work with or the baby's so low down, it's visible. Like someone does an internal exam and goes, oh, the baby's head's right here. <laughs> I mean, that in an ideal world, that's what you want to wait for. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I was, I think I was quite fortunate. I'm encouraging that. I'm sorry, didn't you have America? Oh, no, that's okay. I was just thinking, I, I think I was quite fortunate in that, you know, um, by the time I got to that pushing stage, I had a very strong reflex. And I remember talking to my midwife and I said, I'm, I'm pushing. And she said, no, no, you're not ready. I said, no, 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 I'm not pushing. My uterus is pushing. Like I, my baby's coming out. Awesome. Um, so it was relatively, it felt quite intuitive and straightforward but um what i just wanted to finish off with because i know we've just got a few minutes um left chantal is it is just you know you've talked a lot about your role as a doula in terms of the birth preparation side of things and getting people physically and mentally prepared for the birth um what are and and you've obviously talked a little bit about positioning and using peanut balls and i just wanted if you don't mind the last few minutes yeah about what other sort of tools that you have in your kit as a doula yeah absolutely later on the day how you can support them or how other doulas you know doulas in general how how do they support women in labor well okay so i mean of course it's a lot of continuous emotional physical support and helping them uh get through their labor or 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 helping them navigate their way through their labor with you know whatever whatever it, it takes you know whether it's positions or education or just share encouragement um i'll give you an example where you know where i'm i'm thinking like where i will often step in and like advocate for my client for an example i mean there's so many uh, stories i could tell but i might tell this story for an example i could give a couple of stories but i'll just tell one for now it's like so i had a client who was having an instinctive birth in the hospital and um and now she's pushing and as she starts pushing, the baby's heart rate went down, which is not uncommon one if you're pushing on your back, as you know, because it compresses the maternal blood vessels. But as the baby starts coming into the birth canal, its head gets squeezed. So there is a range of normal where the, head, the, the heart rate does go down, but we do want to see it come up and everybody's got to be comfortable with that. But the OB said to my client, I know you don't want an episiotomy, but if this baby's not born on the next birth, couple of pushes I'm gonna cut you I'm really sorry <clears throat> so I said to the OB I said can I have the next couple of pushes with my client and she was like yeah sure absolutely um, you know how can I help so I said to her come let's get you onto your left side let's just turn you over into your left side one to give the baby a break but um, let's just see where we could go with that and that actually helped you know free up the sacrum and let the tailbone move back but also help this sit bone move out of the way on the next contraction, her baby rotated. You could see it spinning. On the next contraction, it rotated some more. On the next contraction, it crowned and birthed with an intact No episiotomy, no cuts, no tears. And that was a nine pound, 12 ounce baby. So the position that you choose can have a direct impact on the pelvic floor. And also the provider that you choose can have a direct impact on the pelvic floor. You need a provider that's going to uh, allow you to change different positions and be supportive, you know, of ideas and and, and changing positions. Um, But I do want to just say one thing, Anthony, I know you're talking about like, I, I do find this, this is, I find this a lot with a lot of my clients when they are needing to kind of, even if the baby is really low down and they're helping the baby out, often when they're pushing, they're pulling up. And I can see because I'm right there. And it's so interesting because I know I've often worked with these, uh, with these women ahead of time and I know that they know how to release the pelvic floor, but often they push in and you see them pull up and that baby is not going like anywhere. And sometimes it's just finding like what cue to use. Like I, I, I had a client more recently where, 
um, it was now time to push. The baby was really low down and uh, she started pushing, but this baby just wasn't budging at all. And her doctor was like, okay, this is going to take a while. I'm going to go. You guys carry on. I'll come back in a couple of hours. I thought, no way. This woman has worked so hard preparing. This, this is not going to take a couple of hours. Anyway, she left. And so I'm trying all my different cues and, you know, she was happy pushing in this one position. She didn't want to change. And at one point I said to her, you know what? Just hug your legs in towards you. Like get into like that cannonball position. Like the way my kids like to jump into a pool. Because every time she pulled back, which I often find women tighten up when they do that. And on the next contraction, her perineum kind of went like that. Just bulged forward. And the next contraction, it parted, and there was sleeping about the smudge head. And the nurse looked at me with like saucer eyes. And I said to her, either you're catching that baby or go call the OB. And I was with my client, okay, don't push, blow, 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 blow. The nurse ran to the intercom at the back of the room and said on the whole intercom for the whole unit, Dr. So-and-so, if you want to deliver this baby, come into room, blah, 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 now. And when that doctor came in, my client was blown. This baby was just oozing out. It was amazing. She, it was just like one shift and she was able to release. Because she could. Nothing wrong with the pelvic floor, nothing wrong with the perineum. But there was just like, she was just pulling up all the time. And, and it was just that one shift. And sometimes it's just a matter of um, finding that one cue. Sometimes you have to play with it, I think. No, that's fantastic, Chantal. Um, you know, what I'm getting from this is that doulas can help in so many different ways. Really helpful uh, from, and from what you've said, you know, a really holistic, whole person, individualized um, way of helping people. You're looking for different ways to see uh, how you can help them do something different because it's very stressful at the time. Um, and so by supplying some ideas, asking if they'd like to try this or if you'd like to try that, uh, combine that with your, you know, hundreds and hundreds, nearly a thousand babies experience, um, you know, delivered, uh, it, it sounds like um, there's a lot that doulas can do to help support women through education as well as physical and mental and emotional support throughout the, the the antenatal and the postnatal period. Um, and, you know, it was great to talk about the pelvic floor and the role of, um, you know, how, how the baby has to move, do its little dance through its pelvis, through the pelvis, as well as, um, you know, some of that paradoxical pelvic floor contraction <laughs> while you're trying to bear down, as well as, um, you know, the, the, the individual uh, personality types that you see because of, uh, you know, you're in Manhattan, New York City, as well as the, um, you know, when to push and, and how it's not just a simple, yes, you should push now, but, you know, you're really watching and waiting and seeing and evaluating um, to see when it's appropriate to push. Um, I think I've summarized the whole thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you did great. I mean, I also just want to say like, well, you know, also the gods have to be with you. I mean, life throws curveballs. You know, you absolutely. can do all the preparation and life will throw you a real hard curveball that's hard to swallow. And sometimes, you know, you do nothing and you, you know, so I just, we do what we can, we learn what we yep. can, and then we have to, you know, let life happen too. And, and, and that's when it's nice to have a really supportive group of people around you. Yeah. yeah, and that's not so scary when things don't go yeah. to plan. And if 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 we need to divert to a C-section or instrumentation, if you've got people around you who are there looking after you and caring for you, and you still feel really safe, um, that experience tends to be less traumatic. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Well, yeah. thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. You, it's been fantastic having you. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk to you again. Um, there's lots that we could talk about. Um, so if you enjoyed that podcast with Chantel, uh, you can find her at, uh, all the links will be in the show notes, but Chantal Traub, so C-H-A-N-T-A-L, 
T-R-A-U-B.com uh, is where you'll find all her information. Um, and, you know, she's on social media as well, uh, Facebook and Instagram. So uh, thank you very much again. And thank you, Marika. And um, we look forward to catching up with you on the next episode. And if you want to hear more from Chantal, make sure you drop us a message, leave some feedback or some topics of information that you'd like to hear next time. Thanks Thank very you. much. Bye. 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 Well, that's it for this episode. Be sure to hit like if you enjoyed the episode and leave any comments or questions below. We'd really like to hear from you. If you haven't already hit subscribe, please do so now so that you can be kept notified when we release our next episode. Otherwise, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you back with us for another episode of the Women's Health Podcast.